You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior. Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody. That's right. You heard it. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball, and I am, in fact, your host, Al Melkier, and I love this new open, guys. Fantastic. Got a lot to talk about today. Exciting first week of action. First time uh, here on the show since Monday, so lots and lots to catch up to, and a wonderful guest to help me take this all in and break it down. My former colleague from CBSSports.com, Scott White. Scott. Uh, all right. Scott is uh, will be with us very shortly, I'm sure. Uh, and when he gets here, uh, we're not only going to be breaking down the recent news and some of the uh, standout performances from Wednesday's games, but also talk about a couple of Scott's recent pieces that he's uh, written for CBS Sports. Uh, he frequently writes about prospects. We're going to break that down, uh, take a look at some of his waiver wire targets. And also, uh, since you know we're kind of still uh, breaking in this new season, uh, talk to Scott about what his approach was in drafts and auctions and, and what, if anything, he has changed in the first few days of the season. So uh, while uh, we're waiting for Scott to get here, uh, lots and lots of news to get to. So uh, just uh, short, a short while ago, Keon Broxton left uh, the game uh, for the Brewers uh, against the, the Colorado Rockies. He uh, took a pitch to the face. So uh, we certainly hope that Keon Broxton is doing all right. Uh, we will certainly keep you posted on any developments there. Uh, the Braves have signed Ryan Howard. So remember when there was a glut of first basemen just a few weeks back who were still out there? Howard, one of the few remaining, he has signed a minor league deal with the Braves, and they're looking to use Howard as a, a bench bat. So I don't think you were worried about Freddie Freeman, but in case you were, nothing to worry about there. Uh, Justin Upton, who had been dealing with a knee issue, back in the starting lineup today for the Tigers against the White Sox. Um and in that game, he is playing left field and batting fifth in the lineup. So Justin Upton back in action. And uh, there's some flu making its way around the Red Sox clubhouse. So Mookie Betts uh, is tentative to play uh, for tomorrow's game, uh, that being Friday. And sticking with the Red Sox, Drew Pomerantz, he's had his start move back. So initially there was some thought that he could pitch this weekend. Now uh, Pomeranz slated to make his season debut on Tuesday next week against the Orioles. That would give him, however, a two-start week next week with a, another outing against the Rays. So that uh, you know makes Pomeranz a little longer to wait for, but uh, maybe a bigger impact once he comes back. Garrett, Garrett Richards uh, left his outing last night early, but it turned out that the injury was just bicep cramps. So no issues there. Uh, very nice outing for Richards uh, while he was in the game. Four shutout innings, uh, just three hits allowed against the A's. And uh, I understand Scott White, he is ready to join us. Scott, welcome to the show. 
Hey, Al. Good to hear from you. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. This is this is odd in so many ways uh, because first of all, <laughs> you know, Scott, you and I. Uh, doing podcasts together uh, several times a week for six years, if, I, if my math is right yep. there. Sounds and right. And we were, you know, we uh, we were uh, hosted by Adam Azer, so he he did all that uh, wonderful wonderful heavy lifting <laughs> that uh, I'm learning to do now. Uh, but yeah, no, been a long time, Scott. So really, really uh, very happy to have you on the show here. So uh, we just talked about the Garrett Richards. Uh, injury from yesterday. It looks like he he uh, dodged a bullet there. How did you feel about Richard's start while he was actually in the game? Oh, he looked great. That's that's what made it so disconcerting, I think, when he came out. And obviously the fact that torn UCL without Tommy John surgery, you, you worried he was grabbing his elbow and not his biceps. But uh, he looked good, and it sounds like good news. And um, I, I think the main issue with him is going to be that 100 start 100 pitch limit he's working with from start to start still remains to be seen how that's going to play out but i feel pretty good it's going to be a quality 100 pitches when he gets them yeah well uh next week he's scheduled assuming that there's no uh delay here with his next start because of the biceps issue he would get two starts at home against the rangers and then on the road versus the royals again barring any other news would you feel all right about starting richards with those two starts I would. I would. I think two-star weeks are, for now, going to be the only times I'd be willing to start him since with the strict pitch limit, it's unclear if he'll be pitching deep enough into games to earn a win or a quality start or whatever it is your format rewards. Uh, yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense, You know, given the, the likely limit on his innings uh, as a result of the pitch count. Uh, now, Sam Dyson did not uh, dodge a bullet last night. Uh, <laughs> he uh, did uh, see a rebound in his velocity, but pretty much from the get-go, it was clear that something was just not going to go right for Sam Dyson. He's now 0-2, blew the save last night, gave up the um, Francisco Lindor home run. But uh, Jeff Bannister says that Dyson is still the closer. So is there anybody in that bullpen situation that you want to be owning right now? I, that would include Dyson, but uh, would you be willing to give him another chance like Bannister is, or are you going to speculate on uh, Matt Bush, Jeremy Jeffress, or, or none of the above? You know, just because they haven't moved on from Dyson yet, I mean, we're, we're talking like epic meltdowns here. We're not talking just, you know, a couple bleeders and, and, the other team pushed a run across and it's technically a bone save. It's like, I, I feel like he may be getting one last chance here. And look, the guy has like a 240 ERA the last three years. So maybe he turns it around that quickly. There's not a lot of clear underlying uh, signs here for why, uh, why things have gone wrong for him. But coming into the year, I already considered him one of the more vulnerable closers because I think the most talented pitcher in that bullpen is Matt Bush. So Matt Bush is the guy I'm targeting. Uh, I probably should be picked up in any league where saves are scarce. I am a little worried that they might try Jeremy Jeffers first instead just because he has closing experience. Mm -hmm. But uh, Bush is, is the guy who really should be the closer in Texas. 
Yeah, and you know, sometimes you get burned looking at the usage patterns and making an assumption that somebody who's pitching in the eighth just automatically gets promoted. But for what it's worth, Matt Bush has pitched the eighth in two out of the three games for Texas. So I, I think the signs yeah. are definitely pointing in his direction. But uh, it is early, and Jeff Bannister knows that. So we just got to keep tabs on that situation. Uh, Steve Piscotti, he has been cleared to play today against the Cubs, but he is not in the starting lineup. Uh, Piscotti hit three times on a single uh, trip around the bases the other night, uh, including uh, getting uh, hit in a th- by a throw to the head. Uh, just a bizarre chain of events for Piscotti, but uh, it appears that the news is all good there. So glad to hear that. J.D. Martinez reports are that his physical therapy is going well. He's going to be reevaluated today, today being Thursday. And Anthony Rendon back in the lineup on Wednesday night uh, against the Marlins, but he went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. Scott, any concerns about Anthony Rendon uh, for week two, or are you taking a wait and see and uh, see how Rendon Rendon does this weekend? If he's in the lineup all weekend, I'll start him. I think he's cut the caliber of player that if he's healthy, you play him. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Uh, Denard Spann, he uh, sat yesterday against the Diamondbacks uh, due to a tight left hip. Gorkis Hernandez filled in and went 0 for 5 with two strikeouts. Now, Spann, of course, has missed a lot of time with injuries the last few years, and it would appear that Hernandez is is the go-to guy there in center field uh, for the Giants if Spann can't go. Any interest there in a, in a deeper league in terms of stolen base appeal for Hernandez, or are you taking a pass? I mean, I don't, I don't feel like it's quite enough stolen base appeal. You have to go pretty far back in, in an extensive minor league history to find a really high steal season. He kind of reminds me of Gregor Blanco. Like he's the Giants' new Gregor Blanco. Maybe not even as good as that, and that's not saying much. Yeah, yeah, and no, I agree. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, not much appeal there. Uh, and uh, one more move here: the Brewers claim Nick Franklin off of waivers. And so to make room, they designated Michael Blazek. But Franklin yeah. had an interesting 2016 season, particularly in the second half. We saw some of that power-speed combination that, Scott, I know you were very excited about years back when Franklin was just coming up to the Mariners system. I was excited, too. And he yeah. had six home runs, uh, six deals last year in limited time with the Rays batted 270. But the thing that caught my eye was in the second half, uh, Franklin, normally a guy who strikes out a lot, just struck out an 18% rate. So how do you see this whole thing shaking out here? Are you rooting for Franklin to steal some playing time? And who do you think would be the, the likely playing time loser here? Um, or is it just too, too crowded a situation to care about? It's so crowded. I mean, <laughs> the Brewers was maybe the worst place for him to end up because they already can't fit all the potentially fantasy-relevant hitters they have into a lineup. Hernan Perez here in Game 3, a guy who was widely drafted in, in Roto Leagues, he's making his first start here in game three for the Brewers. And um, that's with Ryan Braun out of the lineup. So I just seems like it's going to be pretty tough for Nick Franklin to, to crack that one. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, moved around a few times and I, you know, I could see him maybe getting, you know, getting moved again. I'm not exactly sure what the Brewers thought is here, but uh, you know, they just do seem to be taking flyers on, anybody with some promise and, and seeing, you know, where they can fit them. But, uh, you know, you mentioned Aaron Perez. And if you're thinking outfield, well, you know, Lewis Brinson, I think will be up sooner than later. And I know you wrote about him recently, probably talk him about him later on the show. So 
yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation, but uh, I agree. In a different dif- situation, I might be looking to pick up Franklin in a deeper league, but I'm just, I don't see where the opportunity is for, for him. I'd hoped, uh, honestly, and I'm a Braves fan, I'd kind of hope they'd make a run in him and uh, kind of would replace Sean Rodriguez, who they lost for the season in that car accident earlier, uh, earlier this year. But, you know, with the Brewers... Just too many. Like, it's the Brewers, too. It's a rebuilding team. How do they have so many bats we care about that they do? <laughs> yeah, they've done a great job at a short time in, in terms of rebuilding yeah. that roster you know, re- and from the, the minors uh, on up. Uh, well, we have uh, a new lineup to look at. Uh, all the, the daytime uh, lineups are in, uh, but the uh, Rays lineup for their 7 o'clock game against the Blue Jays is in. You've got Corey Dickerson leading off again. Otherwise, nothing terribly surprising there. We've got another uh, Malik Smith appearance. He's batting eighth uh, against the righty Marcus Stroman. So we'll keep our tabs uh, on the lineups. And uh, also in terms of the lineups for the day games that are already out, the uh, Logan Forsyth intrigue just continues. He's now up to third in the batting order. So, Scott, do you have have any uh, preference for not that, you know, I think you've got Dave Roberts' ear or anything, or if you do, that's that's an awesome thing. But uh, yeah. <laughs> does it matter to you where Forsyth is batting? Because he's kind of all over the map. Oh, he's 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 not only batting third; he's playing third too. That's yeah. Uh, Justin Turner getting a day off, so I'd like him to bat lead off. I think that's probably. I mean, batting higher in the order is is um, pretty much always a good thing for a player's fantasy value because the opportunity for more bats. If he's a real run producer, you hate for him to miss out on the RBI chances that might come in that spot. But, um, yeah, I'd prefer Forsyth as the leadoff guy. Though, Andrew Tolles, who, against righties, has been batting leadoff, he's kind of interesting in his own right. Yeah, no, I agree with that, too. So it's, you know, I'd I'd rather actually see this alignment than see Tolles batting, you know, eighth or something like that and and having Forsyth lead off. I'd like to see them both. Right, because him being able to platoon player and, and yeah, Tolls being a platoon player and unproven. Like the leadoff spot is a big part of his appeal right now. Yeah. Well, good news on the weather front. Uh, now we do have one cancellation already with the Pirates and the Red Sox, but in terms of uh, any of the games that are either uh, underway or, uh, or going to start later, no uh, major uh, weather issues. Uh, there's some rain with the, the Phillies and the Reds. And uh, I want to see, because I think I saw that the Marlins game was in delay. Um, just check on that real quick before we head into break. And, uh, or, well, that game hasn't even started yet, So, but I guess there is some chance of a delay there. So anyways, uh, well, Scott and I will be right back. We're going to come back and break down some of the Wednesday standouts. So stick around. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and with me, somebody who should be very familiar to you, especially if you listen to the CBSSports.com podcast or if you spend any time on their site, and that would be my former colleague, Scott White. And uh, Scott and I are going to take a look at some of the uh, standout performances from yesterday's games. But first, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about the RotoExperts.com exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package. It's your ultimate bench coach for the 2017 season. 
Stay ahead of the pack with your in-depth statistical breakdowns, trend analysis, and player insights. Become a waiver wizard and learn how to scan the numbers like a roto scientist. We help you set the ideal lineups every week. And this season, you get uh, a built-in fantasy training staff with their new injury advisor, powered by InsideInjuries.com. Get the RotoExperts.com exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package now and start soaring to the top of the standings. Enter promo code FREERADIO, that's free radio, all one word, at checkout for a special discount. All right, Scott. Well, some uh, really notable pitching performances yesterday from places that we necessarily wouldn't necessarily have expected. Uh, I think you've liked Brandon Finnegan for a while now, so how did you feel about uh, his seven shutout innings against the Phillies? <laughs> I mean, how did you expect me? You know, that was, that was his... Uh... <laughs> validating as any uh, performance could be for one of your preseason sleeper picks. And it, it really seems like he's a changed pitcher since he added that change up to his arsenal late last year. I think it was his last seven starts. He averaged 11.3 strikeouts per nine innings with that changeup. And it was his best swing and miss pitch during that time. Picked it up from Dan Straley last year. And it just really seems to have allowed him to take off. And, you know, control's still an issue. He has to throw enough strikes for it to pay off, but he certainly did on Wednesday, and I'd make sure he's he's not unowned in your league because it could be a, more of this going forward. Now, Finnegan is a uh, is right now scheduled to be a two-star pitcher next week at the Pirates versus the Brewers. So I, I assume you're all in on that. Yeah, yeah, those sound like good enough matchups for me to <laughs> take. I, I felt bad because I, I drafted him in, in Tal Wars. I'm, I'm in Tal Wars, uh, one of the Tal Wars leagues for the first time this year, and uh, I didn't start him <laughs> for the first week, which, you know, it, it, it feels especially bad when it's a player you believe in, and you're just like, uh, I'm not totally comfortable, you know, 750 ERA this spring. It's going to give him one look first, and then he does something like this. and. Hopefully, hopefully more of this going forward. Yeah, I hate that. Um, how's the rest yeah. of your roster doing so far? It's, it's doing good. I was actually the high bidder on Blake Trinan, and uh, so he is single-handedly responsible for me being tied for the save lead. <laughs> yeah, and I actually wasn't... Nice. Yeah, um, I actually wasn't you know, kind of in a, in, in, in a vacuum, which is a phrase we use, we like to use a lot on the CBS sports podcast. In a vacuum, I'm not even that high on Trinan. Um, I feel like just the fact that a Sean Kelly is the nationals best reliever and B Dusty mm-hmm. Baker was hinting at Coda Glover all spring. Like, I feel like Trinan will have an especially short leash and, uh, you know, the nationals, are obviously looking to win, so they're, they're not going to, to take much uh, any hiccups from him, really. But, yeah, when you're talking about a situation where every closer is owned and you have a declared closer for a contending team, Trinan is certainly good enough that he could keep the job, too. So I was happy to get him in that context. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because I was saying very similar things and, and felt like I was in a minority and a question I got a lot, Scott, I don't know if you got this one too. It was kind of weird how often I got this question was who I like better, um, Trainin or uh, Cam Bedrosian? And this was before Mike Sosha said he was going to go with the committee. 
So I said training. Who who did you like? Who who do you like better? I like Bedrosian, and I I think I think what Socha said has been mischaracterized a little because he actually went out of his way, and I was just, I was actually just writing about this before I came on the air, and I only discovered that he didn't actually say by committee. He said it's not. He wouldn't characterize it that way, but he didn't want to declare anybody the closer. And that's probably just so he can – he gives himself an out if he decides he wants to put Houston Street back in the role when he gets back from his lat injury. Um, but I feel like Cam Bedrosian, what he showed us last year, the 112 ERA or whatever, was second best among relievers with at least 40 innings and great strikeout rate, just really became – at least had the numbers of an elite reliever with that uh, slider he introduced to his arsenal. I think he's going to um, make it pretty clear who the closer should be before Street gets back, and I think he'll be a very good one. Yeah. Well, staying with relievers, but moving away from the ninth inning, uh, Chris Devensky had a heck of an outing last night, and that was a, a, a extra inning game against the uh, with the Astros against the Mariners. But he pitched four innings. Didn't give up a single hit, no runs, one walk, and seven strikeouts. I mean, we all knew from last season that Davinsky was good, that Davinsky would have some multiple inning outings, but I thought this was pretty exceptional. And it really, I, I think that for me, this pushes him into the, uh, the, the realm of, you know, the, the top relievers that I would target who aren't closers. Uh, do you feel like that's, that's going overboard, or, or how do you feel about Davinsky? I mean, that kind of outing might be enough to do it. It was, I had a hard time getting behind him as being any sort of fantasy asset coming into the season because it, it wasn't a case like Dylan Betances where he has this off-the-chart strikeout rate as well. The strikeout rate's fine, but he really needs to have the kind of ERA and whip he did last year to be useful in any way. Um, but what really does set him apart is the number of innings he's going to get compared to most relievers and just how dominant he looked in this first appearance. I think it's in, in a deeper rotisserie league where you can afford to um, dedicate a spot to a pitcher who's not really going to help in wins or saves. He's, he's near the top of the list, sure. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, Dylan Bundy, going back to the rotations, uh, seven innings last night, uh, just one run, uh, eight strikeouts, no walks. And this was against the Blue Jays, who, by the way, uh, I just looked up uh, not long before the, the show started here. Blue Jays right now, again, again, we're talking two or three games for, for all teams. Uh, they are last in isolated power as a lineup. <laughs> so that's not what we're used to from the Blue Jays, but I, I have to kind of write that off as just a, a really small sample artifact. But nonetheless, uh, Bundy, great, great outing against the Blue Jays. How would you rank him vis-a-vis -vis Finnegan? I'd take him over Finnegan. He was actually, which list did I have him on? I, I may have technically had him on my breakout list and not on my sleepers, but, you know, it's a fine line between those two terms. Uh, and, and mostly because of the storyline of him reintroducing this sort of slider-cutter hybrid to his arsenal after doing away with it with all the arm problems he had um, down in, at the start of his professional career. And it's, it's kind of the pitch that made him the 
prospect he was, the one who came up and threw 30 shutout innings right away. So I uh, I was high on him at the start of spring training. And then spring training went kind of rough for him. And kind of like with Finnegan, I may have let that scare me a little too much. Uh, but I was noticing on our site, even before this start, he was up near 90% owned. So it's it's not really a question Unlike Finnegan, where it's like, do I add him or not? With Bundy, it's do I trust him to play him going forward, at least on our site. And uh, I feel like I'd be leaning yes right now. All right. Well, his uh, opposite number in that game was Jay Happ. Also nice outing. Also went seven innings. Allowed three runs, but also no walks for Happ and nine strikeouts. Now, Happ has been up and down and all over the board in terms of strikeout rate. I, I think you and I were both pretty interested in him a year ago when he was coming off that incredible uh, stint with the Pirates where he uh, struck a lot of batters out. Uh, but in this game, nine whiffs and 89 pitches, which is a nice rate, but but pretty much major league average. But 20 called strikes, which is a very, very high rate. But Hap just always seems to be sort of changing his approach and, and changing uh, his, his colors, so to speak. So um, what what did you make of this start? Do you make anything of it going forward? Uh, I don't know if I made much of the start individually on its own. Hap's definitely an interesting case, though, because 20-game winner last year, obviously, but not doing the things that got me excited about him going into last year, the jump and strikeout rate during that partial season with the Pirates and Reese Searage and, and increasing his fastball usage. And that, that kind of went away last year, but he was a 20-game winner. We're kind of in a weird place, I think. We've arrived in a weird place in 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 like in terms of fantasy analysis and uh, how, the things we we value pitchers for. Because I feel like everybody's more or less on the same page in what makes a pitcher good and what doesn't. And you know, primarily strikeout rate, walk rate, home runs, the the fit measurements, right? Ground ball rate mm-hmm. we could throw in there. Um. And that normally, like when I first, I, I feel like I've been doing this a while now. I'm in my 10th year as a fantasy analyst. And when I first started, it, you could kind of pick out sleepers that way by looking at those measurements. But now I feel like we've gone so far the other way that the, the hap types, the ones who uh, achieve something big but not in the traditional ways we think a pitcher succeeds, those have become kind of radioactive and, and – you know, you're buying into them with less assurance than maybe you would a, uh, uh, I don't know, like a Lance McCullers type, mm-hmm. but you're getting him for cheaper too, and he's already done something. So it's, I don't have a great deal of confidence in Hap, but I do have a lot of shares in him just because it seemed like nobody wanted him, and it kind of seemed silly after the year he just had. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, yeah, he was a good value. And actually, as far as the sort of pitcher that you just described, he actually was not as much of a value in some leagues as I thought he would be. But overall, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that he, he was coming at a, a very good uh, bargain price. And yeah, whether he's going to be a strikeout pitcher or not, I have no idea. He seems to just adjust and, and figure out what he needs to do to uh, to be successful. So, uh, well, we've just even uh, just scratched the surface here, Scott, in terms of some of the great performances last night. There's some hitters we need to get to, <laughs> some new lineups to look at, and uh, a lot, lot more. Uh, talk about some of your pieces you've written uh, recently. So stick around. We'll cover all that when we come right back. 
back to Fan Rack Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and joining me today is Scott White from CBSSports.com. I know Scott very well from uh, my many years at CBS, and great to, great to be back on the air with him again. And uh, before we get back to Scott, uh, a little bit of breaking news here. Uh, this from John Shea uh, from the San Francisco Chronicle on Twitter. says that Sonny Gray is going to uh, throw a bullpen session tomorrow and that he could be back as soon as the end of this month. So uh, some good, uh, good Sonny Gray news there. Um, Scott, are you there? Yeah, I am okay. here. You know what's going on? I think I opened up a browser that uh, put on. All right. I pardon that. I opened up a page, Scott, for you, one of your uh, columns, and uh, you got, got drowned out in my headset by the, uh, the audio, so I apologize for that. <laughs> the auto playing so, video. So I, I'm yeah. to, uh, to, you know, I may have to just let you kind of uh, take over the wheel talking about your prospects column. But before we get to that, um, Let's uh, finish up some of the talk from yesterday's games. Uh, big home runs from uh, Francisco Lindor and George Springer. Uh, game winners. Uh, Lindor, three for four in that game. Two home runs, actually. Five RBI uh, against the Rangers. I mean, does, you know, one game, of course, doesn't signify anything. But uh, is this maybe a signal of, of some power to come? And again, this is be probably more of, uh, you know, verifying some some hunches you already have, but do you think there is more power there for Lindor? I kind of felt like we knew who he was, but it's easy to forget just how young he is too. And just the, what is he? 22, 23, something like that. Mm -hmm. Really, really young. And he had a big world baseball classic performance too, with some uh, home runs that uh, made a big impact. So, I don't know. It's too early to say, hey, he's going to hit 25 home runs this year. But I don't think with a player this young and who has his kind of talent, I don't think we can really rule anything out. Yeah, you know, there was a surprising amount of power there from Lindor in that half season or so that he he played in 2015. I'll admit I sort of discounted it. But like you said, he's very young. He has shown that power before. So, uh, you know, not my top candidate to to have two homers in a game, but... uh, you know, we'll see where it goes from here. And then I mentioned Springer as well. Went two for seven with the, with the home run. So that's uh, two on the season for Springer. Where do you see him? Because um, I, I wrote a piece for, for fan graphs, uh, not fan rag, but for fan graphs uh, on Springer saying that I think based on what he's done so far, I feel like he's hit a ceiling and he's at an age where I think that wouldn't be an unreasonable expectation, but off to a good yeah. start power wise. Do you think that that 35, 40 homer ceiling realistically is still there? I am not counting on it, no, because it's it's e- just like it's easy to forget how young Lindor is. It's easy for, to forget how old Springer is. He had kind of a, a later start to his career for a prospect of his caliber. I felt like his to live up to his draft status this year, which was, what, borderline round two, round three, he had to reemerge as a base dealer. And he's 0 for 2. He went 0 for 2, I think, on the, the first game of the season. Yes. After already saying in spring training he was going to be extra cautious and selective with the stolen bases. So I think he was 9 for 19 last year as well. It's all adding up to him not being a big base dealer this year. So 
he's still a safe must-star player, but he might end up being kind of underwhelming for, for where you drafted him. Yeah, you got those nine steals last year with the, the bad efficiency, and then, like you said, got thrown out twice in one game already this year. So it wouldn't surprise me if he wound up with you know maybe half a dozen steals, and that's, yeah. that is a, a big chunk out of the value that we expected from Springer, especially if we drafted him that early. Nomar Mazzara with the home run uh, against the Indians last night, uh, three for four in that game, three RBI. And so, and again, this very, very limited sample of three games, Mazzara's batting 583. What were your preseason expectations for Mazzara in terms of a breakout? He's, he's so young and has such a great pedigree that like, he's the sort of player who, like, if you just, if you just took a flyer on him because of that, it, it could pay off handsomely. Maybe it's already starting to. He wasn't one of my personal favorites because the ISO was so low. I think he had like a dozen doubles to go with his 20 home runs last year. And uh, I just wanted to see a little more evidence of actual current production from him than that. I think, I, I mean, I do have him in one or two leagues, but he wasn't a priority of mine. Not saying this isn't the start of something. It, could have, it absolutely could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly too early to tell. Uh, you know, it's just one series uh, out of, uh, you know, 50-plus <laughs> for the year. So uh, Chris Owings, somebody that uh, I had on my watch list early on just because I was really curious about what he would be as a steel producer. I really had a concern that the Diamondbacks just weren't going to run as much this year now that Chip Hale is gone and those teams were very aggressive with him on the base paths. But uh, a two-stolen base game for Owings uh, against the Giants last night, uh, two for three with a couple of doubles and a couple of walks. So nice game for Owings, but what do you think about his overall value going forward? Yeah, it's going to depend largely on playing time. He's he's not the center fielder anymore, obviously, with A.J. Pollock back. He's not a great shortstop, and, and Nick Ahmed is. Nick Ahmed, who Owings narrowly beat out for the starting job this spring. Uh, so I imagine he's probably looking at 400, 450 at bats this year. And aside from the steals, and we're not even talking like an Hernan Perez level steal mm-hmm. total, probably. Um, I'm not sure there's a lot there. So I, it's pretty low end for me. Owings is. Okay. Well, uh, like I said earlier at the uh, outset of the segment, you recently wrote uh, a prospects report. Now, how, are you doing what, those once a week, Scott, or what? What's the plan for those this season? Um, I would say more weeks than not. Yeah, probably close to every week. I'm going to update update everyone on the latest prospect happenings, primarily framed around the five prospects who I think are, are most worth stashing and redraft leagues uh, because a, I think they're close to debuting or, or reaching majors and B uh, I think they'll actually be impact players when they do arrive. So it's built around that. I do talk about other prospects as well. One further down the minors ones who might only matter to dynasty league owners, but the the focus is definitely on the ones who are close to, breaking in and, and breaking out, hopefully. 
So who, this is a question I get a lot, and I'm sure you do too. So who who are the top uh, prospects to stash right now? Okay, so the top one, and if we're being technical, he doesn't qualify as a prospect anymore, but he is a minor leaguer, and that's Julio Arias, who the great thing about him is when he does arrive, he doesn't have much to prove, really. We have a pretty good idea. He's going to contribute right away. So he's absolutely somebody I'm willing to devote a bench spot to. Beyond that, the ones who we think of in the more traditional prospect sense, my favorites to stash right now, I'll give you all four of them. It's uh, Yon Mukata, Bradley Zimmer, Cody Bellinger, and Jose De Leon. Now, uh, uh, Zimmer's an interesting... I'm sorry? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, uh, I was going to just uh, bring up Zinger, Zimmer first of all of those because of the one of those that you mentioned. He's the one I, that I would think would have the most uncertain timeline. And he also he gets lumped in with Clint Frazier a lot. And, you know, I'm not sure which one would be up first. I guess it would seem like Zimmer would probably have the clearer path. But uh, you well, know, how do you? F- well, yeah. well, fortunately, Al, you may have missed that Andrew Miller trade last year. But they're they're not uh, having to compete with each other for playing time anymore, so that helps. Um, but- <laughs> <laughs> right, but you know, in terms of clear path, I mean, I think the, the Yankees, you know, they would obviously have to move Ellsbury or, or Gardner, I would think, or at least put them in a, in a reduced role. And yeah, yeah. there aren't very many Tyler Naquin believers out there, I find so. Yeah, um, that, well, that's true. That's true. I, but I, I think Bradley Zimmer doesn't even like Tyler Naquin isn't necessarily the one blocking him. Um, Lonnie Chisenhall, well, it, wait, Lonnie Chisenhall might actually be injured right now. Is that uh, he, he is? Uh, he's going to be yeah. back probably in about a week. Yeah. So right now he's injured, but I don't think he's like if he's. I, I don't think the Indians are built around Lonnie Chisinau. You know, if, if Bradley Zimmer is breaking down the door, they'll they'll be happy to vacate right field for him. He's already 24. Uh, he had a monster spring training, and actually uh, Terry Francona left him with the words, um, well, this may not be an exact quote, but we want you to go down and, and, and break the door down. So they're inviting him to make them call him up at an age where it kind of needs to happen sooner than later. And, uh, yeah, he had kind of a disappointing season last year, but, uh, there were a lot of stories written this spring about how he was, it was kind of an experimental year for him. He was trying to change his, his bat pass as we see a lot of hitters doing these days Mm -hmm. to get more elevation on the ball, to, um, keep it, level swing plane and, and hopefully make more contact too. And it seemed like those changes really paid off for him this spring. I, I like the ability there, the power speed combo. He's a player who will take his walks. And I think he could be uh, um, potentially, I won't say five category because I, I don't know that it'll be much better than a 260 hitter, mm-hmm. but I, I think he could be an impact player in fantasy. Definitely. All right. Well, there you go. Some good stashes. And before we head into break, I did promise before the last break, we would take a look at any new lineups that are out. We have the Blue Jays now against Blake Snell and the Rays. So we've got what I would think would be a pretty standard lineup against lefties. We've got Darwin Barney at second base batting ninth, but we've got Steve Pierce in left field up at the top of the order. 
So that's pretty cool. Uh, if you're a Steve Pearson <laughs> owner or, you know, <laughs> looking uh, yeah. at your DFS options. So there's that. So, uh, mm-hmm. well, we got one more segment to go, Scott. Uh, I want to talk about your waiver wire column as well. And I think that'll dovetail nicely because I also just want to talk about your early season approach. I know you've always been uh, very aggressive with your, your uh, roster changes. So I'm curious to see how that's going for you. So we'll uh, take a peek at that in just a couple of minutes. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melker, your host for this hour. And joining me today is Scott White from CBSSports.com. We're going to talk about Scott's waiver wire column in just a moment or two. But let's check in. We've got a lot of day games going on and a couple of interesting results here. So first of all, we got the uh, Rockies and the Brewers in a pitcher's duel. One to nothing. Rockies right now in the uh, top of the seventh. So if you predicted a uh, pitcher's duel between Antonio Zenzel and Chase Anderson, well, you're a lot smarter than I am. So <laughs> that's uh, pretty interesting. And uh, Scott, you know how Brian Price said that he was going to be using uh, Rysel Glacius and Michael Lorenzen in ninth inning situations and probably yeah. was going to use them on back-to-back days? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, he's uh, proving true to his word because both Lorenzen and Iglesias pitched last night. They both pitched an inning. Iglesias got the save. And... The Reds beat the Phillies seven to four, and Drew Storen got the save. So, if you were hoping that last night's uh, Iglesias save was a sign of things to come, you're going to have to uh, hope for that a little harder, I guess. <laughs> That's a messy bullpen. That in Oakland, just so messy. Yeah, I'd rather yeah, not really... even get involved. Yeah, well, uh, uh, for my tout squad, uh, I did pick up Storen as a waiver pick this week just because my third reliever was Carter Caps, and there was pretty much nothing out there other than Blake Trainin, and I, I just knew I wasn't going to, uh, you know, I'd have to bid more than I wanted to to get Trainin. So at least for this week, I got a save from Drew Storen. So, so there you go. Uh, so, Scott, your uh, waiver wire column, uh, that's what, from this morning, I would have guessed, because yes. you wrote about Morton and Cobb. Uh, but yes, Travis Shaw was in there, too. And, you know, I really overlook Shaw in drafts this year. And mm-hmm. I did not really give enough weight to the idea that playing half of his games in Miller Park is going to be a really, really good thing for a, a, a powerful fly ball hitter like him. How do you view Shaw uh, this year? Is is he a streamer, you know, based on when he's at home or uh, is he somebody that you think you could start most weeks? Well, I am generally not one to invest a roster spot in, in a hitter I only view as a streamer because I feel I feel like in a league that's shallow enough where Shaw wasn't drafted, which obviously if we're talking about him in a waiver wire sentence, that's what we're talking about here. Um, there are going to be enough hitters who break out and become regular players, regular fantasy players off the waiver wire. And I do think Shaw has that kind of potential. Uh, not only is it um, a good part for him, but Craig Council, with all the Brewers' excess hitters, he said Shaw has earned the right to play every day, lefties and righties, even though he's a left-handed hitter. So he, he has the at-bats. That's the first thing. 
he needs to uh, to have to take the next step. And uh, yeah, he's showing good power so far. Actually, hasn't taken four doubles. I mean, that's four doubles versus one home run. So I don't know that we've seen the full Miller Park impact on him. Mm-hmm. But it's a great start after a great spring, and um, just by virtue of him being being the one everybody's talking about, like now we're talking about, I'm sure all the other fantasy baseball podcasts are talking about him too. I think now is the time to take a flyer on him. Yeah, and no, I agree. And uh, I think he's got some, some good uh, matchups next week as well. Uh, and, uh, as I mentioned before, you had Charlie Morton and Alex Cobb in the column as well. Morton, a very impressive start last night. Cobb's was more, you know, I think closer to Matt, but uh, you were impressed by both. And uh, what, so what is it exactly about Morton? Because uh, I, if I recall correctly, you were never really much of a Morton guy. So, uh-huh. uh, if, yeah, what, what's brought you around? Well, uh, what's brought me around is the fact that the Astros are a, a Morton guy. They're Morton guys. <laughs> All of the Astros <laughs> collectively are Morton guys. Um, no, I, just some of what was written about him after signing that deal with the Astros, which was kind of a head-scratcher to me. is like, is this going to be their new Scott Feldman? That's kind of what I, the yeah. kind of picture I saw Charlie Morton being. But um, the Astros are known for, for mining data on pitchers in ways other organizations at least aren't known for and, and getting, their pitchers to buy, getting their pitchers to buy into it. Colin McHugh being the most famous example, and it sounded like what the it sounded like what the Astros were trying to do with Charlie Morton was something similar to what they did with McHugh. Take a guy who is mostly known as a pitch to contact a sinker baller who tries to get ground balls and make him more of a power pitcher. Pitcher. They stressed to Morton um, that he should use his curveball more. Um, his fastball. Really, it started last year. He only made four starts last year, so we didn't get the chance to see where it would go. But when he was with the Phillies last year, his fastball gained like a couple miles per hour, and it's carried over into the season. So he's throwing harder. His arsenal's different. And in a way that, you know, if you trust the Astros front office, in a way that should be for the better. And after the great spring performance from him, uh, you know, he wasn't, he was so low in that I didn't feel the need to draft him in a lot of leagues, but yeah, every time he has a good start, that's, that's somebody who uh, I'm going to be close to picking up and maybe even start picking up. Yeah. And the thing about Morton too, is that, you know, unlike Finnegan, who's you know young and, and has shown the ability to get strikeouts, I could see Morton having one or two more really good starts and, and him not pushing the needle in terms of ownership rate that much. So you, you, I, you know, maybe it's wishful thinking on my part, but I think you can have the luxury of seeing how those next couple of starts go. And what I thought was, this was an interesting test. So I thought was an interesting result for Morton was that in a lineup with some really good left-handed hitters, Morton pretty much kept them, you know, kept them grounded uh, one for nine against the four lefties or the four lefties were one for nine against Morton at Cano and Seager, both hitless Leos Martin, the only one to break through against Morton. And that's always been his, his Achilles heel. So it's an encouraging sign. If you could build on that with a couple more starts, I, I could see yeah. uh, taking the flyer on him. And how about Cobb? Like I said, it, you know, 
like like a lot of his work late last season coming back from, uh, from Tommy John, a good but not a great start from Cobb. Was there anything in particular that had you encouraged here? Um, not anything in particular, just the fact that there was a good result after a spring where there wasn't a lot of good. And I feel like he was overlooked to begin with. Uh, didn't didn't do anything to raise his stock this spring and coming back a pitcher coming back from injury uh, Lance Lynn did a great job of it we liked some reassurance from them during the exhibition season as meaningless as it is uh, but Alex Cobb was even more highly regarded in fantasy than Lynn before Tommy John surgery he's now 23 months removed from it so it really shouldn't be um, an issue anymore. His health shouldn't be an issue. And if he gets back to doing what he did before the procedure, he's, uh, he's going to be universally owned and, and typically started. So I think now's the time to maybe take a chance on. Well, yeah, I, I agree. I think unlike Morton, I don't think uh, there's going to be much of a, a wait and see period with Cobb in a lot of leagues. So Scott, we got just yep. about a minute left here. So, um, what uh, what sort of changes are you taking to your approach, if any, this season? Or, you know, you're somebody who's had a lot of success. Maybe you're, you're just thinking if it isn't broke, don't fix it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, are you tweaking anything in terms of your approach to uh, add drops or uh, how you, you know, manage your roster just in general throughout the season? Not really. I, I mean, the, the thing for me about the aggressive approach I take to the waiver wire is, you know, a lot of people get caught up thinking – uh, well, if I still believe in a player, I shouldn't drop him. But that's not really all that relevant when you're talking about making efficient use of roster space. There, You can use the waiver wire as sort of an extension of your roster. If the players you're dropping are ones you trust other people not to pick up, if it's a player you can afford to lose, you can kind of lose for the guy attracting all the attention, the guy you mainly only have a shot at right now. And uh, so that's typically what I do. Just with that last roster spot or two of mine, obviously I'm not releasing anybody too high end. Again, somebody you can't be afraid to lose. Right. Well, Scott, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Great to uh, be chatting fancy baseball with you again. Uh, you can follow Scott on Twitter at, at CBS Scott White or find his work on CBSSports.com. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Jessica Kleinschmidt and stick around uh, the Pat Mayo Hour is coming up. Have a great day, everybody.